Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome, guys. We have a very cool guest today. We have Darren McKellen. So originally from Chicago, Darren has lived in Japan for the last 30 years and has extensive sales and marketing experience in the APAC region. He is currently the area director for North Asia and Zscaler, and prior held senior roles in Oracle NetSuite, Verizon, and Vodafone KK. Darren is currently co-chair of the Information Communications and Technology Committee and vice chair of the Digital Transformation Committee at the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan. Darren was also co-founder of the Mindfulness Project at Oracle Japan, an organization of over 2,000 employees in 2017. Oracle Japan had more than 2,000 employees and as a result, there was a full-time doctor on staff. That company doctor noticed that many employees were suffering from work-related stress, resulting in headaches, stomach pain, and other ailments. He would recommend aspirin and other medication, but more and more employees were asking for a remedy without taking any pills. The doctor contacted the HR department, which in turn decided to create a program based on Google's Search Inside Yourself course. They eventually set up a five-week course, including meditation, body scan meditation, mindful listening, mindful eating, walking meditation, journaling, and reflection. The team interviewed and the attendees and collected data and had a sizable improvement in concentration, productivity, confidence, energy, and relaxation. Because of his role in creating this course, he's led many employees down the role of mindful sales. And now he's written mind over sales so that anyone and everyone can become mindful in their careers at any time or place. So let's give Darren a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So, hey, Darren, welcome to the show. How's, how's it going today? Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Donald. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's our pleasure. So, um, so yeah, for those of us um, who don't know anything about you, Darren, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in Japan? Great. Thanks. So, uh, I'm originally from Chicago, and uh, I moved to Japan 31 years and one week ago, believe it or not. And um, before that, I kind of a generic Midwesterner. I lived in Chicago, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Michigan, and back in Chicago. So um, when I went to university, I, I did a study trip my sophomore year to Sweden, which was a real eye-opener. The next year, uh, I went to Mexico on that program, and I began to realize that the future was going to be Asia, and it was going to be Japan or China or um, even, you know, Taiwan or, you know, all these rising countries. So um, I decided to, to look towards Asia. And I noticed, obviously, Japan was being predicted to be a huge power. And even, you know, some economists were predicting by 2010, the Japanese economy will overtake the US economy. And it's, it sounds preposterous now. 
But looking back, you know, in the, the, the mid 80s, that that was the thinking. And, and so I decided to move to Japan. And then another reason that um, a lot of people find interesting now is I wanted to be more healthy. So I was thinking about this back in the 80s and uh, or even earlier. And I noticed in America, it's very hard to have a healthy lifestyle because I would wake up, sit in my car, drive in traffic to work in Chicago, you know, work all morning, go to a restaurant. They would give me too much food. I would eat it all. I'd sit in my car. I'd drive home. And I knew if I moved to Japan, I'd be walking. I'd be eating healthier food. I'd be eating less food. And so that's how I got here. And then um, once I was here, I fell in love with the city of Tokyo because I think it's the, you know, the best city in the world. And that's why I've stayed. Okay. Excellent. And why, since you've been here during your tenure, you've worked for some of uh, the largest multinational companies in the world. So um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you ended up working for some of these companies? And Yes. Yeah. So as yeah, exactly. Thank you. So yes, I've worked for uh, many large multinational companies. I've actually worked for a lot of small startup companies too. Um, some of them, the, the names wouldn't be, be known, but on the, the multinational side, um, you know, Verizon, Vodafone, Oracle, and then Oracle NetSuite, their cloud ERP solution, uh, Zscaler, where I'm at now, which is a, a, going to be much more of a famous name soon, kind of an up and coming cloud company on the security side. And so I, I think what's interesting working in Japan, obviously, everybody knows that you, are, if you stay here a long time, you're going to learn the Japanese culture, Japanese business style. Um, but What's been interesting for me is really learning about all the different nationalities around the world, because every country has their multinational companies in Japan. So I was selling to, you know, Credit Suisse. I was selling to, you know, the French insurance company, AXA. I was selling to Deutsche Bank. I've been selling to Australian companies, um, actually Kerry Packers uh, Casino down in Melbourne, uh, we did the first online casino with a, a early hosting company I was in back around 2000. Um, so that's that's one thing that's interesting. And then at, during my time at Vodafone, I actually had to fly to Europe and I would be the Japan guy, uh, which always uh, was a bit humorous when they would see this uh, a big foreigner walking in as the Japan guy. But in those meetings, we would have one or two people from Germany, from you know Netherlands, from Portugal. Uh, Italy, and it was interesting to just interact with all of the different nationalities. And so I think for a lot of us doing business in the international space in Tokyo, we get experience to a lot of different cultures, and um, it's really good for honing your skills and improving your skills. Okay, and you talked about sales, which is something I've really come to realize is just an integral part of doing business, whether you're a startup or, of course, a large corporation. And I know you recently finished a book, Mind Over Sales. So when you when you decided to write this book, what did you want to share with the world? Sure. Thank you. So um, I've always been interested in mindful mindfulness and uh, meditation and even going back, you know, over 25, 30 years ago when I first came to Japan. And 
what I found was back 20, 25 years ago, that was a real detriment. And if I would have said in an interview 25 years ago, I like to do meditation um, in a sales interview, I would have been kicked out because they would have said, this guy just wants to stare at the wall. We want aggressive people that are going to close deals. But nowadays, I, I've had it really help me in interviews. Um, going back, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, I, I began to notice a shift. And a couple of times in interviews, I thought, I'll just go for it. And I, I had a, a scene, a, a, a interview at Apple for a very senior role that I didn't get. But um, I remember just saying, screw it, I'm just going to go for it. And I talked about Deepak Chopra and Phil Jackson and influences and meditation and and the people in the interview loved it. So I decided, um, even though I ultimately didn't get the job, but but um, it was very taken very positively. And since then, you know, I've, I've learned that many senior IT executives, Silicon Valley, and not only IT, but very successful people all have a lot of the same traits. Um, and a lot of those are mindfulness traits, things like meditation, like getting up early, having quiet time, getting a lot done in the morning, exercising, you know, going on walks with their kids. Um, so I saw this growing more and more in the marketplace. And actually, I'm grateful because, as I said, I was always kind of the, the, the weirdo meditator, fasting guy. And now the market's come right, right, right where I've been. So that's very, uh, very good thing for me. And so when I began to see all these senior people with the same thoughts, I went on Amazon and I typed in higher awareness sales or business. Or, I couldn't find any books. And I thought, that's interesting. There's you know, three or, three or 4,000 books on how to build a pipeline or how to identify the key decision maker. And very few books on this mindfulness um, area. So that was kind of when I couldn't find a book, I realized there's a hole in the marketplace here. I have a lot of experience in this area. And so I'm going to start writing this book. And that's, um, it wasn't like I want to, I want to be a writer, or I want to change my career or anything. I think I just had the stories in me. And when I would tell people a lot of these stories, they seemed interested. So um, I decided to put it in a book. Okay, definitely. And um, what, what type of uh, meditation are you practicing there? Yeah, so uh, on, on the high end, where I haven't been for a few years, I, I've done um, Vipassana meditation, which is a 10-day meditation, and you don't talk for nine days. They let you talk on the last day to, to start to get acclimated back into society, and uh, I've been lucky uh, to do that four times, and I was a server one time, um, so out there, and I've been out there for three-day courses many, many times, but the, the tough thing about Vipassana is you are cut off from the world for 10 days. So no phone, no computer. And it's really hard to be working in a fast moving company. And, you know, usually if you go on holiday, so oh, I'm going to be on holiday, but I'll, I'll jump on this call. I mean, in, in, in Vipassana, you're just cut off. And so that, that for me is what uh, changed my life um, doing that Vipassana. When you go 10 days and you meditate, like eight or nine hours a day and don't do much else. Uh, and you just get so calm inside and all these things just start coming up and coming out. Um, and what I've learned was, you know, in our modern world, we go to bed looking at our iPhone. We wake up looking at our iPhone. Mm -hmm. We go running, we're going to put our headphones on. 
all of our stimulus is external stimulus, almost all for most people. So when you can shut that off, then our normal body starts to come back. The body that in mind we've had for tens, hundreds, thousands of years. So um, that's at the high end. I really want to do it again. I don't know when I'm going to be able to, to take 10 days off. Uh, next, what I do daily is I just do what I would call a quiet time daily. Um, I get up early and sometimes I'll sit outside. Sometimes I'll uh, sit in the house. I usually get a giant glass of lemon water and tea. And my wife laughs at me. She thinks that's not really meditating. If you're drinking water or tea, she's quite serious. And she, she's done the Vipassana, but um, and, and a lot of times I'll, I'll just drink tea and water. And then when it's gone, I'll just sit there in silence and sometimes in a meditative pose, sometimes maybe in a chair leaning back, but I don't have my iPhone. I don't have external st stimulus. I try to empty my mind. Sometimes work things come up and that's fine, but I just get that early morning quiet time. And I think it's a little bit like in the computer world, I've heard it like defragging a computer, you know, you just shut everything off and then it kind of um, aligns itself or uh, cleans itself up. So if you can do that every morning, then, um, you know, you start the day the right way. You're, you're patient, you're, you're clear, you know where you're going. And then as part of that, I do a, write a journal in the morning or, or affirmations. And mm. uh, that's also part of the routine. Okay. And in that journal, are you, you jotting down like what you're grateful for things of that nature? Exactly. And then also I do this crazy thing I've learned that's, that's in the book. It, it's not just about, you know, intentions are important. And um, every, I was watching a YouTube video of this guy who he rented his garage to Jeff Bezos to set up the very first Amazon. And Jeff Bezos was the only employee. And Jeff Bezos said, in 20 years, I'm going to have a hundred billion dollar business. And the guy's like, what? And so these guys that know where they're going and they have an intention those are the guys that, that, that usually get there. So um, not only I, I write a lot about what I'm grateful for, which is, which is important. And then I write about my intentions and then I write them. Not only I want this, but I write that I have it. And then I actually thank the universe or God or whoever you want to say, thank you for giving me this or thank you for helping me here. Thank you. So even though it hasn't happened yet, I, I write it as if it's already happened. And then the universe, because you've already thanked it for it, the odds of it, it uh, coming to fruition are uh, much, much higher. So yes, thank you. Yeah, definitely. You've opened up the gates for the universe to make that happen. Yeah, I actually started yeah. meditating about a year ago. I was doing, I'm doing transcendental meditation, but yeah, I can't say enough of like how much has changed my life, how much it's improved my relationship. So yeah, definitely. Great. So, um, so in the, how do you tie mindfulness to leadership? How does that work? It, it works in many ways. And so let's take, um, sales, um, sales management. So if someone said, think of an aggressive sales manager, what is he like? And you think some guy, you know, he's aggressive and he gets on the train and he's aggressive and he plays sports and he's aggressive. And, and, um, you know, maybe they, you know, you watch this guy motivate people and maybe one of the methods is, you know, all right, you guys are behind on your target. If you don't hit your target next quarter, we might fire you. 
you know, it, is that motivating? Yes, it, it's motivating. The salespeople are going to be shit. We got to we got to work. We're going to be fired. Is it the best way to motivate people? And I I don't believe so. And so um, if you can find positive ways to motivate people without you know threatening them or uh, putting too much pressure the wrong way on them. And so one of the things you need to do is build a sense of urgency. And sometimes that can be in a positive way. Sometimes, hey, these competitors are targeting our company and these are the companies they're going against. We can't lose to these guys. And then it's like, yes, we have to band together. We got to, you know, take these guys on. So that's that's one way to get people motivated. Um, you know, in Japan, it's very different. In America, um, all the motivation on the sales calls is like, you're going to get commission, you're going to get money. And in Japan, mm-hmm. people are motivated more by, you know, a pat on the back from their boss. They Maybe they don't make much money, but, you know, a company like NTT, you know, the Bucho or the general manager takes Tanaka-san up on stage and look, everyone, Tanaka-san closes big deal. Everyone clap and everyone claps. And this guy makes no commission because he works at NTT, but the entire team knew he did well and, and, and he's motivated. So finding um, different ways to motivate people, I think um, removing conflict. I mean, there's too much fighting in offices and politics, and that just takes you away from talking to customers. And so um, one of the concepts is I talk a lot about the art of war in chapter three, and the art of war, if you want to be a great businessman, understanding the art of war is a great thing to know because um, the, the whole point of the art of war is you don't fight and you never want to fight. And so that's great. And so avoiding fighting is great. But a lot of people are going to fight with you or try to get their way. So you need to understand the art of war to counter them and make sure you don't get taken advantage of. So it's kind of a, you know, oxymoron to, um, yeah, I mean, to avoid war, you have to be a master in war. So, so people don't mess with you. So, um, you know, maybe some people study the art of war and use it the wrong way where they, you know, manipulate people or play mind games. But if you really understand it, it's, um, it, it's it's avoiding conflict, getting the other side to see your side and come around without having to smash them or kill their their their, their uh, citizens or in the business world, you know, um, it's not not really killing, but it's you know more um, trying to take their business away. So mm, of course, yeah, okay, and and Darren, you also were co-found co-founder of the Mindfulness Project at Oracle. Japan. How did that come about and what did this project aim to accomplish? Right. Thank you. So it was an amazing project and it started with the doctor in Oracle. So since we had over 2000 employees, we had a full-time doctor on, on, on our staff and people would, it was a hard company to work in. Oracle's challenging. And then with the the cultural things in Japan and the headquarters, not fully understanding Japan a lot, it, it could be very pressure you know, high, high pressure uh, situation for many people. There were a lot of people with headaches, stomach aches, and they would go to the doctor and he would prescribe medicine to them or pills. And more and more people are like, I don't want pills. And so he went to HR and said, people don't want pills. And what's the best way to treat these people? And um, jointly, the HR department and him came up with um, kind of copying what Google did with search inside yourself. Uh, that program, and um, they adopted it and decided that they were going to um, do that in 
in Oracle and, and I was already kind of famous in Oracle with some people for, uh, you know, meditating and, and um, I guess different thinking. And so I was one of the, the people they asked to participate and Oracle Japan has this beautiful tea room up on the, the what's 22nd floor of their building in Gaiamai. It's just beautiful. I think Larry Ellison had it built. And we would sit up there in this giant tatami room with views over Tokyo and the Olympic Stadium and Jingu Bay Baseball Stadium and uh, go through different mindfulness. Um, we would meditate. I would talk people through meditation. A lot of times it was their first time meditating for five minutes. So I've never meditated for We go, I'd say, we're going to do five minutes. And then at the end, we're going to do 10 minutes. And it sounded like a lot to them, but, you know, 10 minutes actually became kind of normal. And we would do things like um, mindfulness eating to, to teach how to eat more slowly, um, journaling, you know, keeping a journal. And that's really how that program took off. And then it kind of fell apart because I left and the doctor left and, there were, uh, and then the, the lady in HR that invited me left, all of us kind of left at one time, but we ended up having, I think, um, six or seven different groups of like 10 to 20 people go through and it seemed to have a, a very positive impact. And we actually measured the data of people going in and out and um, I have that if anyone's interested, but it was um, a very positive experience and I learned a lot. And, and Darren, if somebody wanted to start journaling, what would you recommend? How does one, how would one start journaling if they were interested in doing that? What should they be putting in their journal every morning? Uh, great. So I, I think the key is consistency. So people get a journal, they write for three days and then don't write again. Right. So I think just write something every day and put the date there, whatever, um, you know, September 22nd, 2021. And I feel tired today. I feel happy today. I'm going to do this today. I really want this to come into my life. I want that to leave my life. Uh, or maybe these, you know, one, one thing where I, I do it and then sometimes I stop is I'll write down the three most important things I need to get done that day and just kind of clarify in my head. And then, and, but I would just say, grab some, uh, 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 some paper and just start writing, uh, but make it consistent. And then, you know, how you're feeling, what you want in life, what you want to come to you. And it all becomes very clear and it comes to you much faster then. Okay. Thanks for that. And, and, um, and you mentioned Ellison a couple of minutes ago. Um, and I know he's a huge, um, fan of Japan. Did he come to Japan often when you were at Oracle? It, he did. And, uh, I was, <laughs> I never met him. And I was, uh, anyway, I, I was standing right next to him and didn't realize it. I was, uh, they had the um, America's Cup yacht race uh, down in Kyushu um, back, like one of the practice rounds, getting ready for the round. And Oracle was the, the cup holder, Larry was. And so I got to go down there. There was like a crazy, fancy, high class event. And I was in the basement of the hotel and there was a door open and Larry Ellison was in the hotel, the hotel. <laughs> And I was on the other side and, and our marketing guy was there and didn't even tell me. So I, I didn't, I didn't get in to meet him. I really wanted to, but I, you know, he's so elusive. So I think he, he would come into Japan and did not tell anyone in the office. And, you know, we would hear stories like Larry's in um, Kyoto buying more properties. I guess he owns a ton of properties. And when you have, you know, $60 billion, just think, you know, if you took $1 billion, how many properties in Kyoto you could buy? So, right. so he comes here, he goes shopping. 
um, and often just lets the Japan operation kind of get on with itself and doesn't doesn't come in much. And when he does, it's 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 not really known. But um, yeah, he does love Japan, and um, he had a lot of success, and so I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, no, I've seen his house in Silicon Valley, and he has it modeled after. It looks like Kyoto, but it's right there in Silicon Valley. It looks amazing. Yeah, that is. I think that cost him probably a hundred million dollars back a long time ago, and the the upkeep's got to be a huge amount of money. Yeah, it's got to be. He probably flies someone in or has him has him situated there, probably. Probably. All right, and Darren, and so with this mindfulness, how is how do you think that this concept has helped you in your career, business, and personal relationships and life in general since you started this course? Good. So I, I think one is patience. I think that's been a huge thing. And so I am able to wait, you know, if something blows up or someone gets angry or, you know, I'm, I'm just able to stay calm and not use that reptilian brain fight or flight and, you know, just instant, instantly reply or start yelling. I mean, I can be very, very calm for a long period of time. And usually um, a lot of conflict or problems go away right at that point. Uh, potential. So um, I've been in meetings where one person raises their voice, another guy hears it, and then he raises his voice. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And and suddenly, you know, there's like an argument breaks out, which wrecks the meeting for 20 minutes. And that's um, really a horrible thing when, uh, you know, you get hijacked, uh, wasting time with internal fighting. So I think patience has been um, one, I think clarity, you know, when you, like I said, when you sit, and you write and you can kind of see where the market's going and where you're going and um, yeah, clarity and direction and then, you know, confidence too. So um, I think all these things build on each other, but really uh, patience and, um, you know, kind of knowing the direction you're going are, are probably the two biggest. All right. Excellent. All right, Darren. And before we, um, let you get out of here. I want to put you in the lightning round. All right. Get your thoughts on a few subjects. So um, what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Okay. So I, I think I'll go way back. And that was, um, you know, my, my grandfather's the guy that kind of got me involved in all of these, this thinking. So my, my, not, not, not so much my parents or other people growing up, but uh, my grandfather had a house in Michigan and the, the, the walls were stocked with books and he had books like um, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. He had books on yoga and photography and fasting and all these crazy ideas that I'd never, you know, didn't have access to. But it was those books on, you know, the power of positive thinking. There was another one by a w, w. Clement Lee. I think he was a, a real estate guy in Chicago who had, you know, made a hundred million dollars. Oh no. Insurance guy in Chicago made a hundred million dollars selling insurance back in the early fifties. And that was supposed to be a, a big thing at the time. So I think probably that thinking grow rich book as a little kid, when I got that book and I learned the concept of positive thinking and correct thinking and dreaming big and having goals, I think that, that kind of opened my mind up to, um, a greater world. And then another book that just kind of crazy pops into my mind was when I was around 25, I read Deepak Chopra's book. I think it's called the time, 
timeless aging something something aging timeless mind and it talked about people who've lived to 100 years old and what traits they they shared and what they had and i remember thinking that wow this is like getting getting my i'm doing a lot of this stuff already but the things i'm not doing i need to to start doing so i started to prepare for you know this uh this long-term life, you know, past a hundred years, uh, after reading that book. So that became very conscious for me. So All right, excellent. next in the uh, lightning round. <laughs> All right. So yeah. How has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? Good. So I, I love this term, uh, perceived failure, because that's really what, how I see life. And so almost every failure is a, a blessing in, in some way or a teaching it's teaching, you know, and so I remember I was having problems with something. I had, and uh, our I, our mutual friend Andrew Silverman said, "The obstacle is the path." And I thought that makes so much sense for me to grow and get to the next level. I need to be able to get through this problem. So that that um, was uh, an important thing. So, for example, um, I'll go back a couple companies ago. I was working for a company. And I built a, a team here in Japan, a sales team, very quickly. And we were selling really well. The, the sales results were zooming. And I could see the foreigners overseas that I was reporting to just took that to, oh, we, we have a great cult culture. So our company, our culture is so great and Japan loves it. So we're just going to Zoom. We're going to boom. It wasn't, it wasn't the Zoom company. We're just going to grow this business quickly. And then they got the idea like, well, we have Darren, he's a foreigner there, but if we hire a Japanese guy, um, this is going to grow much faster. And Darren, they, they, again, they weren't really very friendly on the meditation side and how I was managing. They wanted the business to be managed with a lot of stick and not a lot of carrot. And, and they didn't really understand Japan. So here I am, I got this business. It's growing. It's going very well. We're just about to really expand in Japan. I was the head guy. And, um, they started coming to me with these crazy ideas that they wanted to hire a Japanese person. And so I just decided I'm not, I'm not fighting this. I'm just going to leave. And within three months, I had a much, much better job um, with a lot more future. And I, I wouldn't have made a change at that point had, actually, I'll call it a failure, had these had these senior executives not had faith in me. The fact that they, they didn't have faith in me um, was kind of a stressful moment, but it also made me realign. And to, to go a little deeper on this, I, what I attribute it to, this is kind of crazy. I start, I'll attribute it to my journaling. I started writing in my journal, something like I want $25 million, something like that. Or I thank you for giving me $25 million because what, what I want to do is have enough money so I can do volunteer work around the world and not have to worry about money. But thank you for giving me $25 million. And I think that intention became true. And the universe said, you're never going to make $25 million at this company. So we're going to push you out. We're going to have something happen where you get pushed out and you're going to go to another step up to another company that's going to get you closer to your goal. So I set this intention. So intentions are powerful. Set this intention. It decided I wasn't going to be in that company. Could have been perceived as failure that they didn't have confidence in me. And it led to a much better job and much better career path. So um, failures are usually, you know, something to be studied. And if you're smart, you'll have a step or two up. 
Yeah, and I love what you said about um, um, that quote from Andrew, the obstacle is the path. I was just reading this book, well, the book I'm reading now, and it talked about 99% of the problem isn't the problem, it's how we're looking at the problem. So I think that mm. ties in greatly to what um, what Andrew said there. So yeah, that's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. All right, Darren. So if you can have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? I think I would I would have um, I would have a, a billboard that's would just say dream big, you know, dream big. And I think you know, I was just in America uh, recently and there's so many people in dead end jobs or um, they don't seem happy doing their jobs. And, you know, if they could, you know, dream what 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 would their dream job be? Hmm. And um you know, so I would I would actually change the billboard if we could have the billboard for a year. I do six months. I have it. I'd say dream big, and then I change them for the next six months and and have it say dream bigger. So then people see that that message because um, that's that was some advice given me back a while back. Um, dream big and then dream bigger. And I, I remember like, wow, I was dreaming big, but let's say I dream five times bigger. And then once you start to imagine it, maybe maybe it can happen. So, thanks. Right, excellent. And what what is a habit or routine that you love? Good. So going back to the early mornings, I just love early mornings, and I get up between uh, four and five usually. And it's in Japan in the winter; it's dark out. And I can watch the sunrise. There's no people around. If you know, I'm at this hotel right now in Enoshima. I got up at 4.30 yesterday, I went up on the roof and there was the full moon setting over Mount Fuji and the sun rising and there were some crazy clouds in the sky that all turned red. And I wrote in my journal and I did some stretching and I had some tea and then some coffee and I'm all alone up on the roof. And I was thinking probably all the people living in these houses around me think that guy's nuts, why isn't he in bed? And I'm sitting up here going like, these people are nuts. They live here. Why aren't they out here looking at the sun, the, the, you know, the sunrise and the moon? So I, um, I love my early mornings and I, uh, I'm a morning person. And that's really um, brings a, a lot of uh, satisfaction and joy to my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can get so much done getting up at those hours by noon. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate how that can help help your day and your transition if you're looking to do that. Right. All right. So Darren, in the last few years, what new behavior, belief, or habit has most changed your life, do you think? Um, let's see. I the, the journaling thing, I wasn't doing it very much, and that that's changed me. But I think also um, getting... I think the internet is amazing. And so, you know, you can find teachers that are at different levels or levels above you. So just getting access to people that do meditation um, and, and, and get to learn, you know, what they see. I mean, here, here's a, a question for you. Let's say someone, let's say someone says, I've reached enlightenment. Okay, well, what level is that? Does that mean that person's reached enlightenment? They don't enlighten anymore or they get better and better and keep improving? And so where do you draw the line? It's like I reached enlightenment 10 years ago, but I'm so much better now because I've learned all these new things. So that's kind of an interesting point. And one mm. that I've been looking on the internet if someone covers it. And, and related to that, um, just a, I uh, good friends with Rob Clare, who's been on your 
Baker show and he meditates at another level altogether. And so I've learned a lot from him and occasionally been lucky to teach one or two things back to him. But, but um, he's been, uh, he's a very successful guy and he's really connected to the universe and angels and, you know, um, everything he, he's never negative. Everything he does seems to, to turn out positive and successful. So um, have, being friends with him has had a huge impact on me too. Okay. Yeah. I have to um, dig into that with Rob, but yeah, you're, you're right. He is a great guy. I love that guy. And Darren, how often, um, what have you become better at saying no to? I, I think over the years, um, not spending time with people I don't want to spend time with. And so I, I think my point there is, um, we, we're all busy and there's so many people I want to hang out with. Like I got an email this morning from a friend who, who moved to uh, Maryland from Japan. I, I really want to talk to him. I haven't talked to him, but I'm busy. So when I get stuck going to events or stuck with people that I don't really want to be with or don't add value, I'm thinking there's so many people that I want to hang out with that I don't get time to. So I, I think, um, you know, cutting out, people that are, are time wasters. Um, and also like, I don't watch TV. I'll watch maybe too much YouTube, but again, that can be very targeted for what I'm looking for. And um, so I guess just being more selective on, uh, you know, who I spend my time with, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. And that's important. All right. And the last one, and I think this one digs the deepest, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Hmm, 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 hmm. Let's see. So what important truth to very, I'll say, um, may, I'll, I'll put it this way. Yeah, I'll answer it that I, I think many people would agree, but very, very few people do. So for example, if I talk about my book, and I talk about, you know, sitting in silence, getting people say, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's a good idea. That's good. And then they don't do it, you know, or they never have done it or mm-hmm. about getting in shape or eating. So, you know, it's something that, um, it's really weird. It's almost like um, I have an itch or a scratch. And so like if, if I'm trying to clean all the energy out of my head or any stuck energy, or there's part of my body that isn't open, I just feel like I got to open this. So I'll get into yoga. And it's been like that for years. So I don't know if in a previous life I'd reached some sort of level and I'm like clawing and fighting my way to get back to that level or, you know, effortlessly, hopefully effortlessly getting back to that level. But, um, you know, I, I, I've seen, you know, quiet time and focus and having intentions and, you know, spending quality time with your family and that balance and avoiding TV, avoiding alcohol. It's just it's just been huge for me. So I think most people would agree it's good, but they say, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's, I should do that. And then they don't do it. So it's a bit disappointing to me that, you know, 95 percent plus of the people out there. Um, haven't kind of, um, you know, identified these areas as being important. And a lot of them watch TV or eat processed foods or frozen foods and and those sort of things. So. Mm, Yeah, so true. All right, Darren. So yeah, thanks for sharing that info. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking with you about your mindfulness, your book. And and yeah, by the way, before we hop off, if somebody wants to purchase your book, how, how do we go about doing that? Where can we purchase that? 
Uh, just go into Amazon, whether Amazon Japan, Amazon uh, USA, and just type in Darren McKellen or type in Mind Over Sales, and it should come right up. And uh, right now, the only place is um, on Amazon. And now that I'm a published author, I will probably be publishing a lot more books. I actually have a dinner in Enoshima, my hotel here, with uh, a publishing company introduced to me by my feng shui master, uh, Tanaka-san, who's written many books. And we're going to talk about books two and three, which might become uh, books that are actually in bookstores and, and, and promoted all over, even though they'll both be in Japanese. Both my next two books are going to be in the Japanese language. So, okay. But um, thank, thank you, Donald. I love your podcast and uh, I like finding your videos on YouTube and appreciate all the work you're doing. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you saying that. And also, Darren, just real quick before we hop off, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to um, get in touch with you or reach out to you if, if need be? Sure. Uh, they can get out in touch with me at darrenmckellen at gmail.com. All right. Excellent. I'll put that in the bio as well. So again, yeah, Darren, okay. thanks so much for um, thanks so much for hopping on with me and sharing sharing your view on mindfulness business. It's been really great. And I look forward to um, seeing you again soon before I go back to the U.S. All right, Donald. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Enjoy Inoshima. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Bye. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves. <laughs> <laughs>